Pikachu. I don't oh, know. shoot. That's a good one. Pika P. Pika P. Pika. Pika. Sure. I should have done the Pikachu. You still can. We're coming back in. Remember? <laughs> oh, right. Hillary used Thunderbolt. <laughs> Pikachu. Hello and welcome to Rhythm Encounter, episode 72 on game music concerts. Uh, my name is Hilary Andrew. I'm hosting today. Hello. Good to have you. And with me, I have two fantastic panelists, Jonah Logan. Hello, everyone. And Mike Salvato, who's usually hosting. I am, but apparently I am third on the list today. <laughs> there are only three of us. It's saved the best for last, Mike. It's saved oh, the best for last. Oh, for last. oh right. Okay. I'm, I'm the and credit. Yes, you're the and credit. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Okay. I'll take it. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't really care. Yeah, you're the you're the the big actor who is uh, who's slumming it. You're the you're the Chevy <laughs> Chase of community in this case. I'm not sure I love this comparison all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> Having some familiarity with his character and community, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with this either. Or familiarity with Chevy Chase in general. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I, wait, can I be Chevy Chase from? The vacation movies? If you want to be Clark Griswold, you can be Clark Griswold. That's, that's, you're the patriarch of the RPG fan family. Okay. Actually, that makes it sound like you're in Yakuza. Yakuza. I was going to say Yakuza mobster something. Look, we're not doing that episode yet, Jono. I'm waiting. I've been waiting for months. It would be a good episode. (laughs) Yeah. For sure. Okay. Today's topic, we are going to be talking about game music concerts, which is an exciting and timely topic as, you know, venues are opening up again. Everybody, please concert go safely. And, you know, it's it's been a while, so it's a good time to reminisce, kind of talk about the magic of seeing some of this video game music that we all love live. So I have a kind of a question of the day. So we'll start with you this time, Mike. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your um, game music concert background? What shows have you seen? What do you like? I'm trying to think of my first one. I think my first one was seeing the Symphony of the Goddesses, the Zelda concert in 2012, which I feel like there must have been something before that, but that's the first one that really stands out. Um, that was incredible. Um, I, had, I had not heard Zelda music live. I mean, now I've heard it all the time. Like it always comes up at MAGFest and other things, but that was the first time. And um, they really covered covered a lot of ground in that one. There, there was Wind Waker. I think there was Twilight Princess. There was, of course, things we you would expect, like the main theme and Ocarina of Time. I was especially happy because there was Link's Awakening music. I was going to say, isn't that the tour where they added Link's Awakening? They did add Link's Awakening, and I may have cried. Um, it was it was just beautiful. That is the tour I saw them on, too. And same thing. <laughs> yeah. So that's where it started. And then I've been to, I don't know, four, four or five different MAGFests. I've seen video games live several times because they wisely when they do the LA shows they would always uh, coincide with E3 so a lot of times when we would go to E3 as RPG fan several of us could also go to video games live they they put they put on a good show they did um and then not that you're asking for you know every concert I've been to but comprehensive those, those are the big ones and then of course I have to mention the most recent which was um six days ago surprise um where we saw the final fantasy 7 remake orchestra tour um which was that was an experience that was that was supposed to happen i think a year ago Mm -hmm. 
a little Correct. over a year ago, and obviously they they postponed it. Thankfully, they postponed it, and we didn't have to like get refunds and start all over. They just like moved our tickets back. I hear that game is pretty good music. Oh, yeah, it's so good. And they did scoring it. They did a fantastic job of kind of incorporating some of the dynamic nature, some of the updates really yeah. they had to do for the game into the score for the concert yeah i mean they were passing the parts around between lots of different instruments and sections and yeah they they had the the vocal song hollow and i, I wish i remembered we should have bought a program the the vocalist they had on that because he was incredible um yeah he was lo- really good, into it <laughs> yeah a good mix of original final fantasy 7 stuff and some of the brand new music so and they're they're that's going at least like there's a lot of shows next year i think it's going it's they have dates through the end of 2022 so i would recommend checking that out if it's in your area so this is kind of a you know active dynamic ongoing topic too, yeah. which is important. So what about you, Jono? I can honestly say, uh, much to the shock of probably both of you, I have never been to a video game concert. Oh, I hope you plan to. <laughs> well, actually, I was planning to. Back when I first joined RPG Fan, it was like, all of a sudden, the certain concepts opened to me. Like, wait a second, these concerts that I've seen on YouTube actually happen. <laughs> <laughs> and I live in a world-class city of Toronto where things happen. So I was, it was the kind of thing I was like, I'm going to start going to some stuff and seeing some concerts. And then of course we didn't go to concerts anymore. Aww. So, but uh, yeah, this is not, this is not a deliberate omission. This is not <laughs> me being like video game concert music. <laughs> Whatever. I prefer the original MIDI. Well, clearly Um, not, because you're here. Yeah. Yeah, Although sometimes I do prefer the original MIDI, but that's another point, which actually I'll probably get into in one of the songs coming up. Perfect. Yeah. But I, uh, I love video game music. I love live video game music and I love live, I love live music and live theater. I mean, this is my background. So going to see things like this is something that I celebrate and love. Um, and the fact that it's combined with video games and specifically RPGs only makes it even better. Well, great. Um, just to share really briefly uh, my background, I've seen, I've been also been to several MAGFests at this point, and I've seen a decent number of shows. Um, I think my favorite is actually Final Symphony, which was kind of a limited tour, um, but I saw it in Baltimore. And they really went all out on arranging Final Fantasy music to be like a symphony. So they changed the instrumentation and stuff more dramatically than you'd expect, like at Distant Worlds, but it worked. Yeah. Final Fantasy X music made a really cool piano concerto. Uh, the performers were great. And I just happened to be sitting in front of some um, musicians from the local video game orchestra, the Maryland Video Game Orchestra. So I got to talk to them during intermission. Uh, So that made it a really neat experience. And, you know, I also like the smaller community um, concerts. So I encourage listeners, use the internet, look it up, see if you have a local video game orchestra and support them if you can, because it's a fun time. Yeah. So there's a variety of ways that you can do live video game music that it can be performed from giant symphony orchestras to smaller ensembles. And we're hoping to kind of, and musical styles as well. There are a bunch of different musical styles. We're hoping to kind of show some of that variety here today. So if everyone's ready, um, I'll start announcing our first block. Yeah, cool. I'm good. Okay. Absolutely. So our first block is the Square Enix block. Uh, you know, we like Square Enix here. Um, there's some really great music they are a large proportion of RPG concerts. You know, Distant Worlds is usually one of the first ones you hear about. So I will let you two introduce your respective 
songs for that block, starting with Mike. I have this thing behind the scenes where I, even though Square Enix is a huge, huge part of our coverage at the site, um, and there's so much to pick from musically for almost any topic, um, almost any topic. I don't think we can do the, a Wild Arms episode of Rhythm Encounter and <laughs> include Square Enix games, but otherwise, it's really, it's really easy to fall into. Like everyone picks a Final Fantasy song, so sometimes I try not to to not pick something obvious but at the same time uh last year we got this blu-ray of this chrono cross concert from 2019 which used to only be available in japan like there was no real way to purchase that i think it was digital only in japan or something like that there wasn't a physical thing because you couldn't even import it um but last year they made it available everywhere and there's a lot of chrono cross music out there arrangements and I can't rank them anymore. I used to be able to rank them, but there's so many good things now. But this one, this performance is incredible. Um, if you can get your hands on the Blu-ray, the disc, it's absolutely worth it. Um, I should be saying all of this later. But anyway, so my my first pick is Goldove from that Corona Cross concert. Um, and then after that, Jono has a song. Yes, speaking of someone who picked the obvious Final Fantasy song, uh, I picked uh, Matoya's Cave. It's from Final Fantasy One, but this version is on uh, the Black Mages Live. It's they did a the Black Mages are a uh, instrumental rock band from Japan. Uh, Noburo Umatsu is the I, I don't know if he's the the band leader, but he was one of the founders. And they just do arrangements like progressive metal arrangements of Final Fantasy songs. So. This is uh, a live concert version of Matoya's Cave, and it's a little bit different than the one you might recognize from uh, Final Fantasy One, or I guess Final Fantasy Fourteen, if you are familiar with that title. Okay, so the Black Mages aren't around anymore. No, they're not. They they left in uh, twenty ten, I think. Okay, I'm just making sure you were you were speaking in present tense, so I was like, wait a minute. No, you're right. I was speaking in present tense, but I know they're not around anymore. Although there is a a new band that's out that's I haven't heard a lot of their stuff, but apparently they are kind of picking up the slack of the Black Mages. Ah, oh, crap, what are they called? I mean, do you mean Uematsu's current? Well, actually, is Earthbound Papas even his current? Oh, the Earthbound Papas, yeah. Yeah. I think that he's involved in it. Yeah, he is. I mean, the... he was, but I, I also don't know if they've done anything recently. <laughs> we could do a whole we could do a whole episode on, Uma, on Uematsu's bands. <laughs> yeah, we could. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> yeah, that's not a terrible idea for a future episode. <laughs> yeah. or, or just like game composer bands in general because there are several yeah anyway so this is uh yeah this is from their one of their i think it's their second live show <laughs> that's recorded uh i don't think the album is available to purchase but it is on youtube above the sky yep that is their second one above the sky all right and i mean it's the the song itself is from the skies above so their second album so this is a a range of kind of musical tones so let's listen to the slightly celtic very pretty gold up and then matoy's cave
So now, now I'm questioning if it's Goldove or Goldove. Is it supposed to be bird theme? Because now I don't know. I always make everything bird themed. I know you do, but like... Actually, it, it's very nautical. So yeah, it might be Goldove. Oh, well, whatever. Hey, that sounds like something that the, you know, creators of Chrono Cross may have thought of. It's two birds, not just one. Okay. <laughs> it's very possible. It's very possible that it is a double bird themed uh, song here. There's two worlds, two worlds, two birds. Does that mean in one world that's you, you emphasize the gull and the other one you emphasize the dove? That would be actually a brilliant thing. They're like, welcome to gull dove or welcome <laughs> gull to gull dove. Gull dove. <laughs> that's <laughs> true. It's just one of those little differences that make Chrono Cross such a, I'm not going to finish that sentence. Sorry, Mike, go ahead. Yeah, no, that's okay. I'm just having flashbacks to this audiobook I'm reading now where the, oh, the, no, the, the narrator no. inflects poorly. I'll tell you about it later. Anyway, so when uh, in 2015, uh, Square Enix released an album called Too Far Away Times. So it was a mostly vocal arrangement album that covered both Chrono games. And it, a Chrono Cross arrangement album has been like in the works or talked about or rumored for way too long. Like other Xenogears things had come out and it was a very long time before that finally happened. So it was a big deal when it came out and it was even more exciting, at least for me, that it had music from both games. So I was pretty convinced that was the final word on Chrono Cross and arrangements and like this will be hard to top which probably still true. Um, but then after that came out, we got that orchestra box, which is also a, a great collection of music. And then a few years later, we got this, this concert thing. Um, now I probably shouldn't have talked about everything I did before, but you know, it, it's still very notable to me that it was such a big deal that this was out in Japan. There was just, there was no way, unless you had like someone in Japan that could buy it for you digitally, or, you know, if you set up some account, like I don't even remember how you got it. But either way, I waited a long time and I was really happy when we were able to buy it last year. And I, I forgot how much it was originally. Like there was a regular version and then there was a, this crazy limited edition that had a bonus disc, which of course, you know, that's the one that we have in this house. Yes. Yeah. That bonus disc also worth talking about at some point. The um, guitar? Yeah, the guitar with, oh, I'm blanking. Remind me. Oh, uh, Sam, one of the Super Guitar Brothers. One of the Super Guitar Brothers collaborated with Mitsuda on... Sam Griffin. The, Sam Griffin. And I'm, it's exciting. It's an exciting bonus for that album, but I'm a little bummed that it, you have to get that limited to get it because it's, it's good stuff. Yeah, I could talk about just that guitar collection. Anyway, all of that to say that this entire concert is just magical. I mean, seeing everyone on stage and there's some just really, there's some interesting arrangements on some of the songs and some are a little more true to the original. Um, this one in particular, um, how do I say this? I don't know, it, it's, I forget what, when it is in the song. There's a part where it, it like shifts because it sounds, it's traditional, the right word. 153 when the strings kick in, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I think I have this note on another song coming up here too, but that's one of the things I like about the live music because I'm, I'm okay if it's literally just a live performance of a song you know and love and it's pretty much what you expect to hear. But when they when they mix it up a little bit and give you something that you haven't heard before, um, I, I really appreciate that. And that's really something that they do throughout this entire show. And um, I, I think it's it, this song in particular is a good example of that, which is why I picked this, because it was really hard to pick one, one from this whole album. Yeah, I actually, one of my comments kind of relating to that is there's like a little kind of flute wind interlude in the middle. And I think it just really adds to the ambiance because this song really kind of paints a picture, you know, kind of a relaxing setting, 
waves, ocean, you sort of feel like you're at the shore. And I think that little like wind interlude really adds to that. You see the gulls. Yeah. Maybe, maybe even see the doves. <laughs> maybe <laughs> both. Um, yeah, but you feel like, you know, you're walking on the beach or hearing the waves. Um, and I think that is really enhanced in this, in this live version. Um, also, when you talk about uh, Mitsuda anything, I am always happy when you get the opportunity to add those live kind of Celtic sounds and Celtic instruments. He has a lot of Celtic influences in his work, so I'm always happy to hear those instruments. And you definitely get that in this piece. It weaves really well with the rest of the instrumentation. It's not like, hey, this is a Celtic arrangement, specifically. Right. I can usually pick that out with, with his music. Like, I didn't I mean, I can hear it, but yeah, it's not really in your face. Like, hey, that's what we're doing in this in this particular song. Hear her bagpipes? No. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Jono? Well, off the bat, I got to say that just just admitting something is that I I do not like Chrono Cross. I don't like it. Uh, I love Chrono Trigger. I don't like Chrono Cross. I think there's too many characters. <laughs> I think there are bizarre motivations. I don't think there's enough story to actually fit in the game. Uh, however. I also think that the music of Chrono Cross is possibly the best on the PlayStation. Uh, I think it might be my favorite uh, Square, uh, Squaresoft soundtrack of the era. It's mm-hmm. it's remarkable. It was one of my first two game soundtracks that I ever bought. What I think one of the most remarkable things about it is this soundtrack is to Chrono Trigger what I wish that Chrono Cross was to Chrono Trigger, um, in the sense that it's it, there are callbacks, there are. There are little there are little moments that remind me of it, um, but it stands on its own as a remarkable piece, um, and I think this song is a great example of that. I think this version is absolutely remarkable. I think it takes the basic, like you said, Mike. I think it takes the basic structure of the song. Uh, when it starts out, it just sounds like a live version of the version that you hear on the actual uh, in the actual game, and then it starts building and building and gets a little bit more energy. Uh, you, I love that if you pay real close attention, you can actually hear the audience clapping in the background a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That reminds me of kind of Millennial Fair, like live versions of that where everyone is clapping and doing the sound effects. Um, yeah, when, when, I think when it really kicks up a notch uh, about two minutes into the song, uh, it just it takes on a whole new energy. Um, and you can feel that shift in the audience. I think that's one of the things that makes live music so remarkable and live performance in general. It's something that, it's one of the things that I think I loved the most about being on stage when I did it. And I know that a lot of performers did too, is when you're really, really on and when you're really, when the audience is there with you, it creates an energy feedback loop where it's you feed the audience, the audience feeds you more energy. And then by the end of the sh- by the end of the show, you're just like sweating. It's it's just you're giving everything you can. It's like it's it's being on a massive high. And I feel like that's what this song kind of does uh, to the point where I think the spontaneous audience applause at the end, just before the song even ends, uh, is is wonderful. And I think it's extraordinarily well deserved at that point in the song because they just really did something amazing with it. I actually don't know this album, and now that I've listened to this song, I'm thinking, hey, I want to listen to this album. It's a good one. Great. I mean, yeah, like I've heard. Like I keep saying, like I think the availability of it is probably why you hadn't heard of it. Yeah, but it's a little more widely available now, and you know, it's it's worth mentioning just because it's one of those like it's 20th anniversary show. You know, it's a pretty big deal, and it's something that we here in this area of the world kind of didn't have access to for a long time. Yeah, it's surprising that it hasn't gotten more attention over the years in terms of arrangements, and I'm glad that there are albums coming out that do something about that like the sound box and uh this right i guess i can forgive you for your feelings on the game 
<laughs> I just I don't think it works. You know, it's funny, though. I mean, not that we're really here to talk about the games, but I didn't like it the first time I played either. Partially because I think I was expecting more of a sequel and probably also because I played it in Japanese. So there was some stuff lost in the way, in <laughs> well, translation. Um, yeah, I think that would be a bit of a barrier if you didn't speak Japanese fluently. I, I had some help uh, getting through it. So, but yeah, like it was so different that I wasn't, I don't know. I couldn't get on board with it at first. See, I don't, I don't think it was that for me. I think that, yeah, it would have been nice to get a more direct connection to uh, Chrono Trigger. And yeah, there were moments where you're a little bit heartbroken, uh, like Lucas orphanage burning down and that kind of thing. But for me, it was the game experience itself. I just didn't enjoy it. There's a difference between being disappointed in something and not enjoying something. Right. And I found mm-hmm. myself not enjoying Chrono Cross the first time I played it really. And then a few years later, uh, I decided, okay, well, I'll play it again because maybe I missed something. And I got, I think I got, I, I got well into the second world. And I was just like, I just am not emotionally connecting to any of these characters. I, I, I'm not in love with the battle system. I don't feel the plot is really pushing itself forward. There are some intriguing questions being raised, but I know for a fact that they don't really have satisfying answers, <laughs> at least in me. Oh, that's so hard. yeah, that makes things difficult. <laughs> yeah, it just didn't work for me, and that's fine. Not all games need to, and I know Chrono Cross is a beloved game. Many people love it, but again, one thing I think that you cannot—no one can say that this game does not have a blow the roof off the top soundtrack because mm-hmm. it does. It's just astoundingly good. Yep. Speaking of blowing the roof off, <laughs> yeah, you know who blows the roof off places? Bands like the Black like Mages and. Umatsu on a keyboard. At least they, they did it one time. <laughs> yes. Uh, R.I.P. Black Mages. No, don't say <laughs> that. They're not dead. <laughs> right. I need to stop doing that. <laughs> oh. um, okay. Well, Matoya's cave. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Let's let's go into the cave now. <laughs> okay. I think I need to hide there. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, if if anyone knows the original, uh, it is it's a cool piece of music my first exposure to this song wasn't in the original final fantasy actually it was on uh i think it was prey it was one of the final fantasy uh vocal albums from the 90s and this and matoya's cave has a french uh vocal attached to it oh yeah that version is fun yeah it's a it's a fun little version it's a it's a nice little story about like friends who are fighting together and and uh it, it, it's cool, and I always really loved this song, and I love I loved arrangements of this song, like the one on the symphon and the uh, again like the '90s Final Fantasy uh, symphonic album mm-hmm. um, is amazing. So when I first heard this version, I just was blown away by it. I, I love how this version starts out, specifically this live version, because you don't even know what song it is at first. It's just like you know they're kind of fooling around on acoustic guitar, playing around. You might have an inkling of it if you know the album, because acoustic guitars on the in this song but he's not really playing it and then the melody comes in very very simply on an electric guitar mm-hmm. and it's very relaxed and calm and it's a really nice smooth it's a perfect way to start the song i think and then the drums come in and the synth underneath and it start the song starts gaining complexity as it goes on uh which is kind of amazing when you consider that the original song matoya's cave which is you know considered to be a beloved Final Fantasy song. It's a 32-second loop of music. Mm-hmm. That's not a lot of time to uh, to uh, develop a, a full-fledged piece, but that's the genius of uh, Umatsu. He does it beautifully. He, he was a master of the form of utilizing the Nintendo NES sound chip uh, to the best of its ability. Um, 
Not what they've done with that 32 second loop over the years is quite remarkable. Uh, and including this version, it just gains more and more complexity and it never feels repetitive. It feels always like a fresh and alive. And then all of a sudden there's this blues improvisational yep. section yep. on organ and piano. <laughs> mm-hmm. And which is like, what? I don't remember that happening in the Nintendo version. Matoya is a blues fan. Okay, I'm on board with this. <laughs> Actually, yeah, that's pretty good. That's a good idea. She just drops the needle on, uh, drops the needle on the record when someone comes in. Yep, I um, like that. I do too. And it's just <laughs> this crazy uh, improvisation on organ and piano, which uh, is terrific. It's it's just it just it stops the song that you were listening to dead and puts you into this completely different area. Uh, that still works. It does, but it's not jarring. I don't think it's jarring either. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's kind of unexpected, but it's not like, ah, oh. it's like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Let's, let's go with this then. I guess, I guess we're doing this now. Um, and then as, as soon as it starts and like with the abruptness it starts with, it's like, oh, we're back into the song again. Okay, here we go. And then my favorite moment in this song by far, I, it's, it's such a, easy moment it's an easy way to get an audience and an emotional reaction i think i already know what you're gonna say <laughs> oh yeah it's the bit where they stop playing and all of a sudden the, a midi version kicks in yep and you just hear the yeah it's just it's incredibly effective moment where the song stops dead and you're like oh yeah that's what it sounded like and then they just kick it up and they finish the song with a ridiculous amount of energy mm-hmm I think I wrote like wailing guitars. <laughs> yeah, wailing guitars and the organs there, and it's it's terrific. I think the ending of this song it, it's it's beautiful. I mean, I think that might be a tricky thing for some of these composers because like none of these songs actually had endings when you think about it. That's true. Everything written up until Final Fantasy V was a loop, uh, and it was designed to go on forever as long as you didn't turn off the system. That music would continue. So they have to come up with like logical ways to finish the song. And I, I just really like the way this is, this song ends. I will admit that although I think this is a great version, I do actually prefer the studio version uh, to this live version. I just feel like it has a little bit more energy, but I think this exemplifies why I love listening to live versions of songs that I know. It's because they're always just a little bit different. Um, even if you prefer one to the other, there are still minute differences just in the performance what they're what the performers are feeling that night uh the sound balance and it just it makes things that you know very well fresh again and for me this song makes matoya's k feel fresh again so i'm really glad that i found this one me too definitely i mean it's it's amazing the different directions you can take with a simple melody and i think this song really illustrates that perfectly this track is there's an absolutely beautiful example of the creativity that can go into arranging some of these songs, especially when you have like an early system, early music, like you were already kind of saying, you know, there were very short loops. So there's so many different directions you can go, many different genres. Um, there's so many ways to build up those uh, admittedly like really good melodies Yeah, uh, in different ways. I mean, when you only have 32 seconds to make an impression, you really got to make an impression. Exactly. And so I think that's another really exciting thing about listening to these songs live is you you get immersed in seeing how they've built and changed and done all these things. You know, it's interesting that I, I agree with you that it's a beloved song and I would even probably even use the word iconic. I guess I feel like it doesn't get as much attention as other 
some other songs from Final Fantasy One or some of the earlier games. Mm. I mean, unless I'm missing the mark there. But, you know, obviously the prelude and some other common songs, like, you know, yeah. still c- come back to this day. But, like, Matoya's Cave, it shows up on arrangement albums, but, you know, I don't know the last time. I don't know. I t- any Either of you tell me if I'm wrong, but, like, I don't think it shows up as much as I probably think it should for such a really, you know, familiar uh, and memorable melody. Um, I, I think when it showed up in 14, that's one of the reasons I was so surprised and happy about it because it's a great arrangement in 14. I was going to mention that moment that music kicked in and I was so excited. Yeah. I think that actually might have to do with the character of Matoya not showing up again after Final Fantasy 1 in any game except for 14 obviously but everything shows up in 14. Um, Whereas like the prologue, the beginning of the battle theme and the celebratory theme they've shown up in every single Final Fantasy game since then. So maybe that's why it's not really as well known. Maybe, yeah. I don't know, but it's, I think that it's a it's well known to people who know Final Fantasy music and listen to albums because it, it keeps showing up in arrangements, especially like for classic Final Fantasy albums of the 90s when there wasn't as much Final Fantasy music. They had to arrange something, so Matoya's Cave it is. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, as far as Final Fantasy 1 arrangements, I think it's a, a more common one, at least in the past. Yeah. yeah. That and Chaos Shrine, I think. It's so interesting to me because the original version is not... It has a great melody, obviously, mm-hmm. because like we were just talking about that. But like the the tempo of the song and the fact that there's no dynamics to it, it just it's just like it, it goes on and on and on. It's almost annoying. But then when they took it and they started playing with it and they started slowing it down a little bit and playing with the dynamics of this, uh, it, then it became something I think really special. Um, at the beginning, like if you listen to the original mini version for too long, it's a little bit. Matoya, get out of my face. Yeah, you start developing an eye twitch. <laughs> yeah. But being able to do more with it, it's it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Are, are we ready to get dramatic? I think we are ready to get dramatic. Okay. Oh, good. <laughs> i you know, Now that I've thrown down uh, against Matoya, I guess. Um, bring so on our next, the drama. Yeah, bring on the drama. Um, our next block is informally titled the Dramatic Vocals Block. Uh, we have a medley with some interesting dramatic atonal vocals and another song with a pretty grand complex melody so one of them is my pick and one is mike's mike's is first so mine is first again yeah sure is all right that i this was kind of an unexpected choice for me um i i had a lot of potential things for this episode and uh i wanted to go really especially for myself uh out of left field here um, so the first song is a, the Mist Medley from uh, the first Video Games Live album. So that's Video Games Live Level 1. And it's a medley from at least the first three games. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, definitely not something I would normally pick. But, you know, after the last couple of years, I've actually finally played Mist 1 through 3. So I feel, I feel like I'm allowed to pick this one now. Hey, look, Hillary and I are just happy that we're getting more adventure game content into the shows. That's That's it. Yep, that's true. Anything to get more adventure game content. And it's another case of like, look what they did with this really minimalistic music. Yeah. Mm. Um, but we'll get into that later. I don't want to go too far into it. My pick is from the Persona 20th anniversary concert. It's kind of like the Final Fantasy main theme or prologue. It's a song you hear all throughout the Persona series. It's Velvet Room theme in the later Persona games. It is the poem for everyone's souls. So let's go have a listen. 
I'm excited to talk about both of these songs because I have never heard them before and I haven't played any of the games. So Ooh, that's going to be good. Yeah. So you get to wait, Mr. Graphic Adventure has never played Myst. I know it's a graphic adventure game. It's, it's on my list of backlog. I mean, it's a different kind, I guess, than some of the others. I don't know. First person graphic adventure games never really grabbed me as a kid. Mm-hmm. Now, I played a little bit of Myst at my friend Jeff's place when I was a kid, but like I never had a computer that was powerful enough to run it until later. Mm-hmm. And by that point, I was... I was really into playing like more advanced titles. I, I mean, that is like one of the defining characteristics of Mist is that kind of like minimalistic first person, slow, thoughtful, all that. Yeah. 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 And I think the music actually talking about Mist being a very atmospheric, very thoughtful, immersive kind of game, slow. Um, the music was actually designed to fit that. I was reading an interview and the Miller brothers were actually really picky about music for Mist because they had had some previous experiences where they had um, someone come in from outside and do music for one of their games and it didn't fit the game at all. They really weren't happy with it. So that's why Robin Miller actually decided to make this like really ambient, very minimal kind of atmospheric music for the Mist series. And it got, it built over the titles, you know, as... As the Mist series did. Yeah, exactly. Um, And as the capacity increased to include, you know, more dynamic music, more real orchestras, things like that. Like the Mist series definitely went in a more dramatic musical direction. So you kind of hear a little bit of that in this medley, which I will let Mike start talking about now. Oh, that's fine. I I, I wish I remembered that you were telling me that story the other day because I would have looked up the other games. Although I guess if this only covers one, two, three, that's fine. Because Robin Miller did Mist and Riven, but mm-hmm. not Mist 3. Which, mm. like, that's a clue that Mist 3 is very different musically. And did, did Robin come back and do one of the later games or no? I think he was at least involved. In five, maybe? Quite possibly. Five or six? Six. Six. There's six Mist games? Do you mean Uru? Yeah. <laughs> Ages beyond this. Yeah, Uru. Why do I have it in my head that at some point it was marketed as six? I no. don't know. What am I thinking Because of? it came out before well, some I don't of know. the others. I guess I'm just nuts. Anyway... So, Miss Medley. The the Medley's really interesting because it one of my first notes is that it really escalates as it goes on. And um it that fits with like Hillary said, it fits with the way the games progress too. Um I, I almost don't wanna say evolved because I don't wanna I don't necessarily think uh the music got better once Robin was not doing them. I think it's interesting. It's really interesting to see where the games went musically once other people were working on them because it became it was different it was different because like starting in miss three like they were all the games were developed by different companies like three and three and four and five or or was five cyan again i'm trying to remember when it shifted back to cyan but like three and four definitely were made by different developers because ubisoft or someone was like publishing it back then so i don't know it i almost wish i didn't know that playing through them because it, it i really notice a difference in the design of the games and the music of the games. Yeah, Cyan came back. Yeah. No, wait, no, hang on. That was, uh, I'm looking at it now. Cyan did Mist 1. They did Riven. Uh, Presto Studios did Exiles. Uh, Cyan Worlds did your favorite, Mike, Ages Beyond Mist. Um, <laughs> and then Ubisoft did 4, and then Cyan Worlds came back and did, did five. 5. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. Okay. And it's really interesting how this medley weaves in characteristics of games by entirely different composers right right it feels like a cohesive whole to be honest 
Like, it, it does. I mean, if you told me that this was the soundtrack of a game, I would not be surprised. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really do- well done medley because I don't think there's a ton of overlap between Mist and Riven moving into Mist 3. Mm. There is sometimes. I don't know. I just feel like Mist 3 is more, it's not quite as atmospheric sometimes. Or maybe I'm just remembering all the all the cutscenes with our favorite villain. Um, right. But I don't know. It, it's interesting. Like, the first two games, and that is how this medley starts, you know, Mist and Riven, mostly mostly like subtle pieces or atmospheric pieces. Even in the more dramatic parts where you are, you know, trapped in this weird cage by by an old man who lives in an age that's like completely unstable, unstable and filled with lava and he lives there by choice. I don't know, but I digress. <laughs> um, yeah, the music swells there, but it's still kind of a simple melody. It's still kind of mysterious. Yeah, even in the dangerous moments, like it's it still has this like atmospheric and it's kind of so quality. Good because he greets you politely, like it all fits together really well because the music's still kind of restrained and he greets you politely. It's sort of like you don't know how much danger you're in. But anyway, right, which is a, which is another point in you know favor of Riven because mm-hmm. I I appreciate that kind of villain uh, versus the just like oh I'm gonna kill you uh, villain. But anyway. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then then so you have two games of that, then all of a sudden you get to Miss Three, and there's this like, it's the title screen, right? The title screen <laughs> the of Miss Three, movie. the opening movie it's of Miss Three so... caught me so off guard. I'm like, is this Miss? It's not bad, but it was so different, and just the vocals, and it's like it feels like I'm suddenly in this like just dramatic like epic action story. And this medley actually escalates in much the same way. Like you've got simpler parts. Um, it's quieter toward the beginning with some kind of choral vocals here and there. And then suddenly it escalates to that full, I think it is the Miss 3 title music where they're just belting it out toward the end. And you're like, whoa. Yeah. And, and you know, <laughs> the medley fits the games. The music, the shift in music does fit the game. Like, I don't want to sound like I'm disparaging <laughs> Miss 3 because it was an interesting <laughs> game. But it's okay. It, it's Well, it's... <laughs> Mystery is less of a solitary experience like the first two. Mm-hmm. Like there is this other guy walking around and it is like there is this sense of danger. So I think the shift in music in three made sense because just because of that aspect. It's very different from the other ones. Right. In the first two games, you you do actually have a dramatic story about this family with way more power than they probably should have. Yeah. Any human should have. Um, but it's kind of in the background. Right. You have to dig. You have to go through all the ages. You have to seek it out. And then you kind of find out what's going on with this family. But in Miss 3, events happen. Someone comes in who's been wronged by this family. And so it's suddenly just right there in front of you. Drama. Drama. That's what I took from it back when, uh, I can't remember which episode of Rhythm it was, but you brought the opening song from Mist 3 in his laboratory. Oh, interesting oh, study from Mist 3. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. And that's before the, that's right before stuff happens. Yeah, I remember listening to that and watching like the cutscenes and stuff like that when I was doing my research on it and thinking this doesn't, this is very different from what I remember from watching on that screen all those years ago. Seems a lot more active than it was. Uh, from what I have read, Mist and Riven are both very atmospheric styles of storytelling where you do need to dig in to the atmosphere and like find the things and the plot is almost secondary to the experience where it seems like after Miss 3 the plot became the driving force mm-hmm. I might be wrong about that because I've never played any of them but uh well definitely in 3 that uh, shift is pretty four, much there yeah mm-hmm. I would say I mean I again I don't know the I don't know the game so I can't pick out individual tracks I can just say what my overall impression of the uh 
of the medley is and it, it's very positive it it moves through a lot of different sections uh a lot of different moods it's amazing to me how dynamic it is given the somewhat more let's say static nature of the original game mm-hmm. i really like the percussion in the background and how that starts building into the uh vocal chanting is great do either of you know how many tracks are here in total it's, it's kind of hard to pick out specific tracks actually just because some of those earlier games are mm. so atmospheric but i think i, I picked out at least four or five yeah. from the different games. There's some very interesting stuff going on. Like I, I, I get some, maybe this is just me, but I started getting some really significant Disney vibes at about 4.30 in the song, specifically the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> like I was getting some real hardcore Hunchback vibes at that point. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, yeah that's a good score to compare it to. I gotta listen again. It's a uh, it's a cool little bit of it's it's great music, but it really did remind me of uh, of uh, some stuff from the Bells of Notre Dame and things like that. It was it was a cool thing. Also, I just want to say, if you want atmosphere, if you want something to be spooky and mysterious and kind of sad and lonely, you just get a creepy child singing yes. a solo. <laughs> That's all you need. You get a creepy child singing a solo and bam, you are in nightmare land. It's true. It's true. And they definitely do that to great effect here. They cut a lot of other instrumentation away. You get the child vocals. And I love toward the end, like the most dramatic part, a lot of what they're just singing is actually just the age names from the game. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Like the main island where you spend a lot of your time in the game is Jananin, which if you listen, I think that's the first one in the chorus. And then Amateria is in there too. That's also an age from three. Okay, that's cool. Because when I was listening to it, I was like, what language is this? Because I don't recognize <laughs> it. It doesn't sound like any language I think I've ever heard. Turns out it's English. <laughs> it's it's Dini. It's super mi- mysterious. Uh, why'd you, is Amateria the one with the marbles? Yes. Why would you remind me of those? <laughs> Stupid glass marbles. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we got, is, we got is, stuck there. I know. That is a okay. nice touch, though. I, I like I like when you when they can do stuff like that. And I mean, I guess, yeah. Is it? Would you say it's Denis then? Like, what language is that? Or is it just whatever all the characters came up with? It, it, I mean, it's pretty much whatever the characters came yeah. up with. But I mean... Either way. Oh, did a- you say Denis? Mm-hmm. I thought you were mispronouncing Disney. Oh, and no. I was like, okay, I thought you were making a joke. I was like, huh, that's funny. <laughs> Nope. No, we can only, we, if we say Disney more than three times on, on this podcast, <laughs> they're going to come after us. Uh, oh, that was three. Good job. I said more than three. Ah, and I okay. said I, I said Disney, not, you know, the other one. Oh, so right, right. okay, yeah. so we're safe. It's the other one. Yeah. <laughs> but do not start singing any of their music. I'll just start dramatically singing age names. Okay. <laughs> but again, a great example of taking disparate pieces of music from games, taking stuff that was originally designed to be simple, minimalist, not overshadow the game itself, and just turn it into something that could be performed, enjoyed, dramatic, moving, all of that. Yeah. All right. So we're ready to move on from the slightly more atonal Miss Medley to Poem for Everyone's Souls. Yes. All right. So I mostly chose this one because I, one, I wanted something from a Persona Anniversary concert because that series has some really great music and some good vocal tracks. Um, But I chose this particular piece because it's interesting to hear it live with a big audience and compare that to how it's presented in the games, Um, which will be interesting to talk about because I don't think... How many Persona games has everyone played? Which ones? Oh, boy. Big zero for me. None. 
Like I said, this entire section is just this blind spot for me of games that I should have played. See, for once, for once, someone has a number lower than mine. <laughs> I have played three. Okay. Persona three. Actually, okay. I've started five. I don't know. That doesn't really count, but at least I've played it a little bit. So you're familiar with some of the best Velvet Room attendants then? Yes. I like Elizabeth. Um, anyway, so this song, um, it's titled a little bit differently depending on the game. Like Aria of the Soul. Um, it's... A melody that's existed since before Persona 3, like way early in the Persona series. Yeah, I listened to the original version. It kind of reminds me of a Toy's Cave. It's just like straight, straight, there's driving. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's been kind of embellished upon over time. And in the later really popular Persona games, it kind of became this like piano and vocal piece where you've got this kind of restrained, quiet, and some strings actually, but restrained, quiet background of piano and strings kind of calling out. And then you just have these soaring elaborate vocals and it it fits perfectly for the for the velvet room which is supposed to be this mysterious place that exists as igor will would tell you like between mind and matter between reality and everything else so it's kind of like this mysterious interdimensional space where you fuse personas you know you change aspects of your own self soul whatever you want to call it mm -hmm. um so the mu musically i always thought it fit really well because it almost sounds like the vocals kind of represent like something trying to get out, be free, be unrepressed, you know, and then the background sort of is a little bit constraining. So it's sort of like an internal voice, I guess is what I'm saying, trying to get out a little bit in my head is kind of what I picture. Right. Yeah. You were saying something about that the other day, how you feel like the music and the vocals feel like they're, they have this sort of restrained quality to them in this performance yeah ex except the vocals the vocals kind of it seems like they kind of want to push and like go beyond that but they want they, to yeah but they don't quite get there because yeah. of that yeah I, I thought that was an interesting way of looking at it <laughs> and and that fits with the location in the game so to take that and put it in this nice big concert hall with acoustics where that voice goes everywhere <laughs> it's sort of like everyone is having that sort of like very internal experience next to each other <laughs> Like that very individual internal experience next to each other, but all at the same time listening to this music. So I don't know. It's really interesting. Yeah. I mentioned earlier in the episode, I think it was the, was the Chrono Cross one, of songs that, you know, when they do a live version, they keep it pretty true to the original. Um, and I, I think this is, this is one of those that's mm -hmm. largely true to the original, but the experience is just different hearing a live version. Um, I, I wrote in my notes that I, I call this, you know, I don't think this is the technical term, but a deceptive performance because I haven't like sat down and really listened to the original version of this song or one of the versions in a while. So like when I first heard this, I'm like, all right, this is good. And like, it's, it's one of those ones that it's kind of like the pixel remaster stuff from Final Fantasy where you listen to it and you're like, well, this is the song I've heard in my head all this time. Mm -hmm. But then when you listen to the original, you, you really see like, oh no, it really has been like updated and expanded and... So I'm glad I, I went back and listened to at least the Persona 3 version of this and I realized my error. Um, <laughs> like, it's still good. It's still a beautiful song, but the this concert version is just, it's just more full. It's richer. Like, the pianos, like, there's more subtlety to it. At least, again, compared specifically to Persona 3. But it was just, it was really, I'm glad I made the comparison because I appreciated the concert one more, like, really listening back to back. And, I mean you know we we found we have the album of this or you can find it on youtube and it sounds great like on a computer or through headphones whatever but i can't i can't imagine 
like what that must have been to hear that live. Mm-hmm. Like to be in the room for that, that must have been just incredible. I think it's a stunningly beautiful piece. Not having any context from the games. I know it's all on one vowel, but I feel like if you added a couple more vowels, I could have done this as a vocalese for a voice class at school. Like right? it's, yeah, it's just a it's just it's a gorgeous, gorgeous piece. Um and then I did some research into it because again, the Persona series is a big blind spot for me. I'm like, all right, what do we got here? The Velvet Room. That sounds familiar. Where's let me see the Velvet Room? Oh, this is just a giant Twin Peaks reference. <laughs> <laughs> like I was, I was like, oh, it's the Black Lodge. Okay, like it's the waiting room from Twin Peaks. It's David Lynch. Okay, this <laughs> makes me want to play Persona way more now <laughs> because I love Twin Peaks um, and I love the concepts that David Lynch brought into it. I have no idea, but when you were like, <laughs> when you said personas and like different sides of different people, right there, I was like, oh yeah. Just like in Twin Peaks. <laughs> well, there you go. Just like in the waiting room. Interesting. So yeah, I mean, the the Velvet Room looks like a it looks like a giant reference to David Lynch, having directed both Twin Peaks and Blue Velvet, the movie. Um, oh, so there you go. They must have been big fans of it. Um, and I mean, I, I read about the concept of the Velvet Room. I was like, okay, this might actually make me want to play the Persona series more than anything else that I've seen from like reviews or footage. It's just the concept. I like this. Yeah. I'd, I would like to hear more. And I went, I like, I too, Mike, I went back and I listened to some of the earlier versions and I was like, it's really cool to hear how this particular song evolved as the titles evolved as well. Now all I'm thinking about is like the different forms the Velvet Room has taken in the different games. <laughs> um, yeah. In three, it's an elevator. You may have seen that. Uh, and the Velvet Room attendants are quite literally elevator attendants. Hmm. Um, in in four, it's a limo. It's just, you're just endlessly driving in the back of a limo. Nice. Which I think is my favorite one. It's it's just really neat to have a piece like that as a through line in the different games. Yeah, I yeah I agree. And I think that it uh, it's a cool concept. It's a cool concept that I would like to find out what it actually means. And I probably will at some point when I play Persona 5 Royal. Excellent. Good idea. I, I have no idea how to tie anything we're saying here into the next song. So if someone has a good segue. All right. So we have gone from the foundations with Square Enix to a little more drama. Now we're going well past 11 to numbers we don't want to take the time to say with our crowd pleaser block. Yes. I, you know what here is a crowd-pleasing game? Persona 5. You know what else is a crowd-pleasing game? All of the things we're going to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so um, I'll let you introduce your last pick and then I'll do mine. Okay. Jono. So mine is what might be one of the most stupid, awesome things I've ever found online. Uh, it's Juji Hoka or Love on the Crossfire from Bravely Default. Uh, specifically, it was composed by Revo, who composed all of the music from Bravely Default. Uh, and this version is a live version by Linked Horizon, who that's Revo's like band group. And uh, it's from their live concert, Lux, oh, good God. <laughs> Lux and Dark. Lux and Dark, uh, Ruku Sendaruku Kiko. Sure. Yes, Patrick's not here to uh, correct me, so we're going to go with that. <laughs> You're safe um, for now. Yes, uh, safe for now. Although I can just imagine him listening to this episode and being <laughs> like, "That's not." <laughs> um, yeah. So this is uh, this is a live version of "Love in the Crossfire," and it is very different from the English version that you might be familiar with if you've only ever played the English version of the game. Great, I love Rio, so I'm looking forward to discussing that one. Um, oh yeah. Um, well, 
my my last pick, um, I just really could not resist this song because sometimes you want to be the very best like no one ever was. No one can ever resist this song. It's true. So I'm going to leave it a mystery other than that. Um, suffice to say, having a bunch of people hear this song live and how into it they get uh, is an amazing treat. Yeah. yeah. It's Pokemon time.
Now, Jason, you've traveled all over the I world to different conventions and stuff. Like... Oh, far and wide, he's traveled. Uh-oh. <laughs> what does, you've met a lot of people, what does that song mean to a generation? Uh, it's incredible. You guys, first of all, wonderful audience. Unbelievable. I recorded this song. It's the 20-year anniversary, the pokeversary of the recording of this song. But it hasn't been performed live until just about a year ago, a year and a half ago, when Pokemon Go came out. Are we any Pokemon Go people here? I hadn't been able to share this incredible experience with you guys in a live format like this for 18 and a half years. And now we're able to to harness all of this energy that's been waiting inside of you for all of that time. And, and it's just incredible to have this opportunity to do this. Thank you, Tommy, for making this possible. And thank you guys. I'm ready. Are you ready for the whole Oh my team? God, yes.
Okay, so this might be one of the most batshit crazy things I've ever seen online or listened to in my life. So uh, I adore this concert. I found this concert months and months and months ago for an episode of Rhythm Encounter. I can't remember for what. Maybe Solosi turned me on to it. I can't remember. That but sounds right. Yeah, it's an amazing concert. Like there are so many amazing performances in it that I just love um, and that I considered putting on here. But I thought if I'm going to pick a song, I need the the like the biggest crowd pleaser, pump you up song ever. And that is Juji Hoka. So in the English version of Bravely Default, you uh, you approach, I guess it's kind of like a an homage to Battle of the Big Bridge, but you, you approach a, a bridge and Praline Alamode, who is a who is the holder of the performer uh, uh, asterisk. Thank you is, is there. And whenever she sings her hit song, love in the crossfire, she pumps up the troops and you cannot get by them. The problem is love in the crossfire is like the most annoying little snippet you've ever heard with kind of like a annoying kind of like high pitched. I think it's a parody of, uh, of pop singers and like really superficial lyrics and mm. it's 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 just the chorus repeated 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 and i remember at the time being like oh this is funny because she's a she's an empty pop star she's an idol to, yeah she's a, yeah she has nothing to say but yet the audience is still getting pumped up performer <laughs> yeah exactly and then i heard this version and was like wait this is what the japanese version is oh that totally works now because like if this version was being played for the troops I totally buy that they would be, uh, what was the, we go wild. <laughs> like I totally buy it that uh, this song would absolutely pump the troops up. So yeah, if you are just listening to this and you heard the song and you think, wow, that was a really weird tune. I highly recommend you go to the show notes and you watch it because it's crazy. Um, it's fire and it is this amazing performer who's dressed as an idol and she's doing this super cute dance but there's like, there's like progressive metal in the background pyrotechnics. and pyrotechnics everywhere. And it's, she's doing this ridiculous dance and it's just, it's a song of so many contrasts and it all works. They almost light a guitarist on fire at one point. <laughs> and I think this is a good, good time for me to step in and say explicitly, we have videos of many of these performances in the show notes. Definitely worth it, especially, you know, to see Uematsu and Rivo's band and, everything Jonah's talking about, um, but especially for this crowd pleaser block. Yeah. The, if nothing else, the video versions of these two songs, you absolutely have to see. Yeah. They're pretty amazing. Yeah. And like in this, in this, in the song, like when the, when the uh, instrumentation is going on, like the singer is like running around the stage, just playing it up to the audience and like interacting and like still pumping the audience up. It's just an incredible live performance. Uh, it keeps building and building and building. Uh, and, when I first heard this song, the version I found didn't have the lyrics translated. I just heard it in Japanese and I don't understand Japanese. And then I found the version that's in the show notes, which has the song translated. And I was like, oh my God, this is Praline Alamode or Prin Alamode in the Japanese version, I think. Uh, like perfectly, like just playing up this, I'm so cute, I'm so cute, but I don't know how to be cute. I don't, and just like playing up to the, uh, the troops. And uh, I just I just buy that she's a diva of the battlefield. Yeah, definitely based on that video. <laughs> yeah, based on that video, she's a diva of the battlefield. And uh, because of that, I I wish that this version or anything else was in the English version of this game because I don't think it works particularly well in the English version. I think it's very different. It kind of works, but this is just craziness. I love this song. 
I love it. I think it's amazing. I highly recommend you watch the whole concert if you can find it online because it's just one performance after another that is, they're just showstoppers. Uh, the solo numbers of all of the character themes are incredible. They're so great. So yeah, uh, this is a great concert that I will never pronounce the name of again. <laughs> Lux and Dark is, I'll just call it Lux and Dark from this point forward. Yay. Yep, I, I second that. <laughs> Well, hold on. There's there's two, though, isn't there? Uh, they did... Well, Linked Horizon... Okay, Revo's band is called Sound Horizon, and that's their solo stuff. But whenever Revo works with another uh, company or group or thing like that, he has Linked Horizon. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, Probably. Linked Horizon. And there is another show. The video that's in the show notes, if you click on the channel name, uh, you can find a bunch of other things, including another show that they did later that includes, I think, songs from Attack of the Titan. Oh, interesting. Oh, and it, oh yeah, and I can see that it's Linked Horizon, so there's like a wide variety of stuff where he's collaborated yeah. there. Yeah, and I mean, Linked Horizon also did Bravely Default 2, which mm-hmm. we have not gotten a live concert of that yet because obvious reasons. Really hope that we do and that it's recorded. Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see what to add. Uh, this song made me want to go listen to a bunch of baby metal. Um, so if you know who Baby Metal is, that's <laughs> was, what you should picture for this. I was wondering if you're going to bring up Baby Metal. Yeah. I am. I didn't know what Baby Metal was. And then last night in the chat, you like were sending me things. And I was like, <laughs> what in the name? What is this? Mm-hmm. Well, it's that same sort of juxtaposition, right? I mean, it's these ladies who are cute, almost kind of like Lolita dress, but metal style. It looks a little bit like gothy metal Right. But still pretty cute. And they... You know, they rock hard. The, the instrumentation is great. Very, very good metal. Um, mm-hmm. But the, their lyrics that they sort of fit into it are more that, like, kind of pop star flavor, especially just the way they sound, the vocals sound. So it's that same kind of juxtaposition where you could totally see them, like, inspiring an army to go defend them. Right. Mm-hmm. Or fight with them. Probably more likely in Baby Metal's case. <laughs> yes, this was a genre that I did not know existed. And... Uh, What's, what's really terrible, though, is when you first sent it to me, I opened it, and I wasn't paying attention, and <laughs> I accidentally pressed play in the chat, and then it opened in another window. So it was, so it was <laughs> playing, it was, both of them were playing at the same time at about a quarter of a second off from each other. Oh, no. But I didn't know that, so it was like, this is the most chaotic thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> this is terrible. The, like, it, how many drums are playing right now? Twice as many as there should be. <laughs> yeah, as many as there should be. And then I, I noticed and I was like, oh, okay. No, it's it's not that hard. It's not the, the metal isn't quite that hard. It's <laughs> it's it's still listenable. I just if you listen to one version of it at a time. Um, yeah. but it is it's very yeah, if if people listening to this uh, podcast, take a listen, take a look at them. They're they're great. I guess we got to link that now too. Oh, I, I mean, you know, the funny thing is, like, I was going through and wrapping up my notes last night and figuring out exactly what I was going to say, and then of course someone links us to this baby metal stuff, and I spent as much time like, huh, well that's catchy. Let's let's see what else they have, and boy, that's <laughs> just that's just dangerous. So coming in the next episode of Rhythm Encounter, baby metal. Baby metal. Who are still active, by the way? Unlike the Black Mages. Oh, <laughs> R.I.P. You're doing it again. You did it. You did it last time. <laughs> and you're repeating it. I know. That's the linked horizon I would like to see. Baby metal and doing Final Fantasy. Oh, my God. I I would be up for that. That's as crazy there's, as well, Florence and the Machine in Final Fantasy. That would never happen. 
<laughs> what? That's preposterous. Yeah. Um, okay, let's get back on track here. Yes. So I, yeah, I don't even know what else to say about this. It's just a fantastic, fantastic performance. And I think a good example of a case where a live performance can sh show what a scene in a game could be. I had no context for this. Like, you... You're like, hey, this is one of my songs. And I, I sat down to do my notes. And I'm like, I have no idea what I'm listening to. Um, I did look up um, exactly what you mentioned. I looked up the English version and uh, was like, all right. I, it gave me some context, at least, about how this fits in with, with Bravely Default. And I don't know. I'm struggling to think what else to say about it besides what we've talked about. But all I can say is that I have watched this video and listened to this song uh, like maybe a half dozen times by now because it's just, it just <laughs> gets so in addictive. your head. Like the music itself, but like obviously the performance is fun, but it's just, yeah, it's a good time. Oh, it's a great time. I obviously have to check out the rest of the concert at this point too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll send you one or two of my favorite songs. I think my favorite in the, the alternate version of this and the other concert is uh, dancers come out on stage, very enthusiastic dancers with fire sticks they're just like they're just glow sticks that are look like fire and they just like are waving them around and was, they start fire spinning with them later in the number and it's like this is ridiculous i, I was gonna say like actual poi or like glow sticks <laughs> oh they're glow sticks but then they do poi later in the uh, later in the number with them but they're not actually on fire now that would have been awesome okay i want to see a version of this song with just really good involved elaborate poi routines in the background you want even more danger more than fire. setting the guitarist on fire? Love in the crossfire. Yeah. You've got to have as much fire as possible. And that's, that's I think, what they went for when they did this song. <laughs> yes. I guess so. Anyway. So now we're going to move on to something maybe a little bit more kid-friendly. <laughs> and conventional. Yes, with Pokemon and Jason Page. Yes. Um, so this is probably a part of many of our childhoods, watching the anime, hearing that theme song after school. Um so I, I really could not resist, not just because of the song itself, just because it took so long to get a live version of the song in a concert. Just the mm. energy from from the audience is absolutely astounding. Yeah, because in the video, like he mentioned, like this is only the second time it was performed live right. when this happened, mm -hmm. which like think about that. And this is from like, I think the most recent round of... Um, video games live albums and tours so it's it's recent and video games live i think this fits video games live um really really well as well the interpretation is pretty faithful to the original uh but they they really make a show out of it and i think that's a characteristic of video games live as a concert series you know they're known for like in between numbers having sing-alongs um if you look at the video for this I think Tommy Tallarico himself is like leading a little Super Mario do 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 yeah. do 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 and the entire audience is singing. Um, they have like Guitar Hero Live where they invite someone on stage to play Guitar Hero and then an actual guitar like plays the song along with them. Yeah. Uh, and if they make it through the song, like they get a prize. So, I mean, it's it's not just a concert. It's like it's a whole event. Um, and I think this song fits that very, very well. <laughs> Yeah, that's one thing I've always liked about video games live is they really do get some interactivity in there. It's so, a show. Yeah, and I th and in this the video again that we're linking to for this one, uh, Tommy also has like a Pikachu themed guitar for this song, which is hysterically which funny. Which is just great. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I think the thing about the the live version of this, I think my favorite part is it's a bootleg. So, oh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. The, 
No, it's cool, but like you, you get everything you get with. I think I'm glad there's a bootleg album here, uh, or bootleg uh, song here because. Uh, well, we <laughs> we have the official version too. But yes, we have the. Official it's hard version. to find on YouTube where it's not a bootleg. So yeah, yeah. Uh, the YouTube one is the bootleg one. Sorry about that. <laughs> oh no, I think it's great. I think it's I, I think it's important because that's where a lot of live concerts come from. Like bootlegs are important. Uh, yeah, and and there's just just you you can track the the realization of like what's about to happen. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The people is like, wait, no, what is this really happening? Oh my god, oh, this my is god. happening. Yeah. And you know what? I I would have been there with them. Yeah. I mean. Oh, yeah. That that's just so exciting that that happened, and it's terrific because you can you can hear the slightly off key singing of the audience singing oh, yeah. along, and <laughs> all of them. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because it's it's one of the most iconic cartoon theme songs ever written. That's it's true. a slice of the '90s. It's a slice of everyone's childhood in that room. Yep, absolutely. It doesn't hurt that it's also a really good song. It's not just a piece of your childhood. Like when you go back and revisit cartoons from the '90s, some of them don't hold up, including I would actually think pokemon in many ways but something that always holds up is the theme song from pokemon yeah <laughs> it just it conveys the the theme and the attitude of like the game and the show just completely it's all there they're having so much fun doing it too like it's the people on stage who are who are playing and and jason page and like they're not just doing it as a performance like this is their past as well it's it's a it's a joy to be sharing this with the audience. Right. I mean, when I, my my takeaway was, wow, when I go to karaoke again at some point in the far future, I really got to sing this song. Yes, <laughs> I will sing it with you. RPG fan karaoke has been an idea about Rhythm Encounter at some point. So. I, oh, oh boy. Maybe we need to do a staff only karaoke first. <laughs> we'll warm up with that. Yeah, yeah. Staff only karaoke night. You think I'm kidding? I don't think you're kidding. I just think it's going to be Solosi singing uh, Fuck Me Tay just repeatedly nonstop all night. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm hoping someone sings the Pokemon song after all this. I'll do it. Okay. I will happily do that. Okay. This will, I'll, I'll call this song. And actually, this song is also timely because there's so much exciting Pokemon news and new Pokemon games happening right around now. That's true. We're recording yes. this the day before uh, Brilliant Pearl Shining, no, other way around. Brilliant <laughs> yes. Diamond and Shining Pearl come out. Yeah, and uh, it's gotten some pretty good reviews and people seem to be enjoying it. It's a really healthy hit of nostalgia. Yeah. And of course, next year, the big one is coming out, the one that we've all been waiting for, Steampunk Pokemon. <laughs> yeah. I'm very excited about that game. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't play Pokemon, but even I was looking at this being like, oh, this is something different. This is, di this is much different than they've been doing the last few years. Yeah conceptually is something I've wanted them to do with this series for a really long time. So I hope it works out. Yes, we get to see the origins of sending small children out into the field to collect wild animals. <laughs> Some of them, you know, like giant, terrifying Look, wild animals. they're 10 years old, okay? They're adults now. <laughs> That's how this world is, okay? Oh, okay. Yes, exactly. We can go into a whole thing about like how dangerous the Pokemon world actually is. That's fine. But exactly, it's all fine because we have the Pokemon theme song. Yes. <laughs> it's a pretty darn cool song. And the fact that they actually did a live version of it is awesome. They've actually, so they did the title screen music first before this. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm really happy we have live versions of both. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So how are we feeling? We've had quite the journey. We've had lots of different types of performances. I wish we had more time to cover more types of performances. So I just want to, before we do housekeeping, briefly mention, we mentioned MAGFest. Like there are a lot of really neat smaller performances there, ensembles of many of the same instrument, like Akaben, they're a group of ocarinas. Um, every 
possible genre of music you can think of. The Square Enix team actually is putting on um, an, a smaller ensemble version of Final Fantasy music called A New World. Ooh. That's a little bit different from what we've brought on today. So I also wanted to mention that. It's speaking of like getting a new take on some of this really beloved music, like just having that limited selection of instruments so you can really hear the different parts. Um, it's a cool alternative way to listen to some of those really popular songs. So lots of possibilities, um, you know, professional for fun at MAGFest. There's just something about live music that's really magical. Yeah. And a lot of the artists that usually attend MAGFest and they haven't been able to the last couple of years um, have, have been doing a lot of stuff online too. You know, a lot of mm -hmm. stuff on Twitch, YouTube. So. Yeah. The video game orchestra, they are another great group. Uh, mm -hmm. They put out, they did some online performances and put out a short album. I think for video game fans, live music concerts provide them with an outlet to feel connected, not just to the music, but also to each other mm -hmm. um, in a real personal way. Because a lot of video game fans, a lot of their socialization, a lot of their friends, and a lot of the passion that they share is done entirely online. I know that's true for me with RPG fan. Um, and the fact that we are finally after almost two years getting opportunities to go out again and share our passion with people uh, in person in this way in a group setting is very uh, important and wonderful. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that any of us are going to be taking uh, it for granted again. No, definitely not. Mm -hmm. Actually, coming at it from a slightly different perspective, this is like kind of the last thing in my notes that I wanted to mention. There are actually a lot of like classical groups orchestras, classical musicians who kind of approached it from the other way where they have said, okay, how can we get this younger generation who grew up with video games and things like that and more into classical music. Um, I almost brought on a really beautiful Secret of Mana medley from some classical musicians who just, without any context, just picked the video game music that appealed the most to their classically trained ears and scored it and played it. And it's just a really nice like harp and piano and string, uh, Secret of Mana medley and album. Oh, we should put a link for that. Yeah, game music. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So in terms of housekeeping, um, some things we have up next. We have a best of the Nintendo Entertainment System, NES time. Oh, yeah. So excited. Oh, I'm so yeah. excited. It's going to be a great episode. So look forward to that. Um, we also just recently decided we are going to do an elemental episode. So themes that represent different elements in RPGs. Um, and we are going to also be doing, um, as soon as we can, a game of the year or music of the year. Sorry. Music of the no, year. That, that's, that's my show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're doing both. Yes. Please listen to both. <laughs> um, and speaking of that, please listen to our other podcast. We have some great other shows uh, and we have a host here with us. Hello. <laughs> yes. For random encounter, which is our kind of news current um, topics. And then we also have retro encounter, which is game journals and kind of fun alternative topics. And we also have Phoenix Edge, who's affiliated with us, um, and they do great talk about usually also kind of current games. Current games, current events. Current yeah. events as well. Mm -hmm. On YouTube, yeah. Yeah. We've been having some, like, I mean, a couple of days ago, uh, Solosi was on uh, Solosi was on Random, and we did a Castlevania episode, and it was a lot of fun. It's always fun talking to Solosi and, like, doing a, a retro uh, random kind of crossover thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Definitely. And Solosi's had some really good episodes out lately, so. <laughs> yeah. I guess we could argue that uh, a Rhythm Encounter episode about music from the 80s and 90s is also sort of a crossover. A retro crossover. Yeah. There you go. It's yeah, you're right. Retro rhythms. Especially since we have the, we're going to have the hosts of both other podcasts on here. 
Yeah. Oh, you're um, right. Oh, this is going to be exciting. Yeah. It's convergence. Sorry, you were, you were saying. No. I got. I was getting excited about our next episode already. <laughs> we have to finish this one first. Well, yeah. There's lots of exciting stuff happening. Yeah. Also, we mentioned the track list a lot this episode. Um, so please check that out on RPGFan.com. There's a lot of interesting stuff to delve into there. And just so you can get in touch with us as well, um, we'll go around and give contact info. I'll start. I'm Hillary. The best way to reach me is Discord. I'm at EPFire there. And Mike, why don't you go ahead? Uh, the best way to reach me would be just email. So Mike at RPGFan.com. And uh, the best way to reach me would be Logan at RPGFan.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at Jono underscore Logan. Or if you uh, have any feedback for Random Encounter, you can send us a message at podcast at rpgfan.com. Also, please feel free to review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Um, it's really important. Like Subscriptions and reviews help us grow. So it's greatly appreciated if you leave us some feedback. And that being said, housekeeping done, we have a bonus track, which is my choice this time. I picked it because of the conductor. I'm Renew. She's an Irish conductor that was in in charge of a lot of the Zelda concert tours. And it's just a very special piece because it's a Celtic version of Legend of Zelda. And it was kind of part of her homecoming celebration. Like a bunch of Celtic musicians got together after she finished the tour and played a bunch of Zelda music. And from all of that, part of it was partially inspired by this medley that she did for Video Games Live. But there's because of her, there's just this... Um, body of Zelda Celtic music now and it's really cool so we're going to listen to the Celtic Zelda medley from Video Games Live excellent choice all right so let's go listen to that and thank you all for listening good night take care well good night whatever time it is yes (laughs) thank you for listening and thank you for hosting Hillary thank you good night for us right now yes all right bye bye
So are we ready to possibly move on to the next block? I don't think Mike said anything yet. Oh, oh that's okay. At all? Well, he said some stuff, but he hasn't had. <laughs> that's okay. That's all right. No. I'm, I'm, I'm going back to the beginning now. It's like, okay, am I just last in the credits or am I the end credit? Because now we're just skipping over me. I know, I know. That's uh, okay. Now we're in season five of Community. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs>